0: scripture reading this morning will be taken from Matthew, the fifth chapter, beginning at verses 13 through verses 16. I'll be reading from the King James Version. Matthew 5, verses 13 reads, "Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, Wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. You are the light of the world. A light that is cast on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, those that have heard, and those that do his will.
1: Good morning, church. Good morning. All right. It's good to be with each and every one of you. For those of you that are online, we're glad that you are with us as well. We uh, set up a new Facebook live stream. It's running strong right now, and we are getting good stats back from that, so praise God for that. Um, Today, uh, my mom is in the hospital. She's taking a heparin drip, so they have to monitor that. Basically, she's bored to death. If you get a chance, give her a call, talk to her. She'd be happy to chat for a while. She didn't want any visitors right now because she's a little shy about that. But we're taking shifts as children to rotate to visit. I'll take my afternoon shift today and visit with her for a while and keep her company. She's eating well. Um, If you've ever eaten at the cafe down there on the first floor, uh, they have pretty good food at Banner Baywood. But um, she's doing all right and will be home probably Wednesday is the plan right now. So, if you will please, think about one thing. Many Christians have heard this thought process, which is, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. You ever heard that statement before? Not only have we heard it, how many of you believe it? Okay, about four of you. How how many of you really believe this statement? Yeah, there you go. Okay, really though. Because I just want to offer an anecdotal observation that says, we're very good at talking, but how much are we doing exactly what we say, what we believe in recent years? It's almost like uh, Bill, there's an old guy, Preacher Watkins, uh, used to say, You know, we're to be in the world, but not of the world. The boat is supposed to be on the water, not the water in the boat. (laughs) Unless you've avoided boats your whole life, you can understand from the picture, that's a pretty bad situation to be in. No matter what you say about a good day fishing, you 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 never want to see a boat like that. You are to be in the world, but not of the world. But the concept of this separation, the fact that you are a holy group of people that are separate from the world, should be something that we keep in our minds in such a way that we realize we're not alone in the world. Because as you have maybe seen or I have seen, there are people that live as though they are isolated from the world. Well, if that's really the way a Christian life should be, then we should go build a monastery, we should go build a nunnery, and we should all hole up there so that we are never in contact with the world because we don't, wouldn't want to be polluted by it. I don't know about you, but modern times look at the world, my eyes look at the world and go, wow, it's pretty bad, it's pretty tough. All the good things that we have, yes, they're great, but when you look at it and you go, wow, it would be so, so easy to be corrupted by the world if we're not careful. And you look at the Sermon on the Mount in Jesus, and you read in Matthew 5, and we are to be what, church? We're to be salt. We are to be light in the world. And to be salt, you have to be put on something. And if you're salt and you're dropped on the ground, what is it good for except to be trampled on it? It's useless. We're to be salting other people with the life of a Christian. We're to be seasoning other people and shining the light of Jesus to other people, living as children, walking in the light, inviting people to walk in that light. When you think about the Beatitudes in the first part of Matthew chapter 5, these be-attitudes, right? Attitudes to be, to live. And then you see where Jesus says, be salt and be light. Take these be-attitudes and start to live them so that the world is able to see Christ in action. And He's able to, they're able to see Christ in you. Because I don't know about you, But people are converted when they meet other people and they talk about God's Word and they see your life and your words line up in such a way that it causes them to be convicted. I'm sure the Spirit's working on people's hearts. I'm sure there's ways to be mean with the truth. But more importantly, we are to live as salt and light, seasoning people's lives, giving grace. To people's lives, to help them to see that there is a culture, brethren, out there that needs us to step in and provide that salt and light. I don't know about you, but if you've seen how the business world works, if you've seen how many of the, the, the things going on in the world right now, it's, it's getting pretty tough. And I'm not just talking economics, that certainly is coming. There's certainly a recession going on, there's certainly going to be some serious effects. But when we live as the church, we beef up and strengthen up, we soldier up, because out there people need to see Christ in us so that they too can be converted. Because don't you believe like I do that Jesus wants all people to be saved? This morning in our Bible class next door we were talking about the concept of hell and how it is a place that people end up. By default, if you don't choose God and you don't choose to walk on the straight and narrow, by default, you have you have obligated yourself to hell. And when Jesus talks about the straight and narrow way and the wide and easy path, it is, it is tough to stay on the straight and narrow, but the benefits are eternal. And yes, it's much easier to go downhill than it is to go uphill, but I guarantee you, the view from the mountaintop is a lot better than the one in the valley. And I've hiked enough places in the world to know that for a fact. I want to look at John 17 for a while. You'll want to have that in your app or your lap. And I'll just call things out as we go through. Just because I want you to see that this is a prayer of Jesus. But it's not just a prayer where the Son of God is talking to the Father. And this is a prayer of divinity, so to speak where they're having this communication going on, but it's also a prayer for you and for I. Because the apostles that were around Jesus listening in to this prayer were kind of getting a a little taste of what God is wanting for us to go out in the world and emulate. When you think about that, it's a prayer that's that's not just divine. It's also for us. So that we can have this communication from divinity's heart, right? From God to to Christ. But it's within our earshot. So that we can have the perspective that God has to give us courage to go out and live in such a way that it impacts the people around us. Disciples of Christ, us, brethren, Christians. We're supposed to be in the culture. We live in the culture. We dress in a lot of ways, like the culture. We drive cars, like in the culture. We live in homes very similar to our neighbors. But how many of you know any of your neighbors in your surrounding community? A handful, right? How many of you are having an impact on them for Christ and kingdom? According to the Master and the Savior, the disciples of Christ are supposed to be in the culture. Certainly, we're not supposed to be of the culture or from the the culture. We aren't to imbibe in the culture. We are to influence and shape the culture. And no scripture in the New Testament, I think, makes that clearer than John 17. And practically, when you think about that, it should. when you read Jesus's prayer, it should really set in our minds the power of the cross to influence culture. Have you ever seen a country Totally eradicate the gospel message. The answer to that should be a very strong and resounding no. Even in North Korea, even in the darkest parts of China, even in the Stans, even in the deepest parts of Africa, the gospel continues to be spread. I know there's people that may not have heard. But there's a very good chance that if you've lived in the last hundred years, we have been finding more and more ways to print Bibles, to broadcast the message in many different ways, so that those that are in, within earshot or eyeshot have absolutely no excuse except their own intransigence. And hopefully they're not getting that sort of stalling from us. But when you read this prayer, it contains very practical things for us. We think about the, the Jesus' death on the cross that's imminent as he's praying this prayer. And you have to realize that sometimes the walk that we walk out there to shine that light is not always an easy walk, and it's okay. And I know this isn't the Mount of Olives prayer where he's, he's begging God to take this cup, but he knows that that's not what's going to have to happen. But he does pray here. In such a way that we would not chase the desires of the world. Because think about this. Especially if you look at a lot of the short media stuff that's going on right now. Your TikToks, your reels on Facebook, your YouTube shorts, all those. What is it always promoting? It's always promoting the immediate gratification of self in some way. It's all about gotcha. It's all about what is the the best look you can present in 15 seconds or less. It's not really reality. And most of what we have known about media and Hollywood is that the projection was of a life that most people could never really live. And ever since the advent of CGI, there's a lot of things that they do in cartoons and in a lot of the movies that isn't even really possible. But it sure has generated that thought process in a lot of people. And they think we need to chase this joy now. We need to have it now. We need to be satisfied now in every possible carnal way. And sometimes we are satisfied, right? We do eat pretty well. I don't know about you, but I could stand to lose a few pounds. But we get that, right? We do have a lot of blessings. And yet what drives more and more people is the fear of missing out, FOMO. It's a huge thing right now. Why do you think you flick through all the channels in case you don't miss something that might be coming on? Why is it that people flick through all the little shorts because they want to find something and they're afraid they might miss out on the next viral trend? Brethren, we need to make Jesus viral. He needs to continue to go out. Culture says all of life's good things, many of which are sinful, must be experienced now or they can't be experienced. Do everything you can while you're in your youth because when you get old and apparently, I don't know, 30 is now the new old, whatever that is, then suddenly you're old and you missed out. I have never been to Aruba. I don't really care if I ever go to Aruba. But there's people that would say, you could probably find a YouTube reel or some kind of media reel, and they would say, man, you got to come to this place because this is the bomb. This is dope. This is lit. Whatever other modern term that I sound like a dad saying. Because if you don't, you missed out on something. But that's not how the Christian should live. While the world is focused on nothing but today, we live with a view of eternity. Because this life is not all that there is. Christians should impact the culture around them, not the other way around. We should be responding to culture with the love of Jesus, with answers to people's concerns. I would guess that The reason for the vacation spike that it was immensely huge this past summer had a lot to do with people looking to recover from two years of being sick of COVID. I don't mean sick with COVID, I mean sick of COVID. And they're seeking something to fill that gap, that drain that all of us had felt. Brethren, we know that Christ fills voids. He fills gaps. He is the one you want to seek answer to, to lean upon this. Imagine what he says here in 6 through 19 when you're looking down through John. He he praises. He says, I'm glad. I'm praying for these guys. I'm praying for the work that they're going to do. I'm praying because I know there's danger coming in their life. I'm praying that they'll be sanctified by the Word. Why? Because your Word is truth. And Jesus affirmed this importance. Remember, he said this. For I, I, this is Christ. Listen to this. You gotta follow this. For I, Christ, have given them, the apostles, the words that you, God, gave me. They, the apostles, received them and have come to know the truth that I, Jesus, came from you, God, and they have believed that you sent me. Do you see that triangle of power? Okay, aside from a circle, a triangle is the strongest geometric shape. Do you see that triangle? And you're listening to that because I'm not an apostle, but I'm certainly a disciple. And I'm in that group on that part of the triangle saying, Look, you're standing on the foundation which is Christ. You're speaking and talking to a holy and awesome God. How in the world could we be silent when we have that much wonderfulness to share? And Jesus is praying for them. That they would believe 100% in their hearts. And because of that conviction, when they go out and they are sent out to go and spread the gospel after they received power from on high, you see in Acts 8, right, they scattered. What did they do when they scattered because of persecution? It wasn't that they scattered and went back home and said, well, forget this. I could die. Wait a minute, I got kids. I have a mortgage payment. What about my car payment? Man, gas is so expensive. As they went out, what does it say in Acts 8? Verses 1 to 3. It says, as they went out in those first four verses, they preached. And wherever they preached, what do you see? You see people being saved. Because they're convicted. And Jesus' prayer right here, that's that turning point. That's the linchpin." If you're you're sitting in earshot of this, that should lock you in 100% as gods because you know not long after he is going to send them out. You have the hindsight of the complete story to read. You know what's coming. You know that there's a crucifixion. You know that when he comes back, he's going to give them a command to go out. The word that Jesus talks about should sanctify them so that they go out and impact the people that are around them. That sanctification, you read about it later on there in 14 through 19. If you want to live your life set apart from the world, staying on the straight and narrow and gathering as many as you can, we're going to have to dive deep into the Word in John 17:17. 17, 17, right? That straightforward truth. It's one thing to be sanctified, to be holy, to be set apart. It's another thing to take that holiness and insert it right back into the world and say, now it's time for me to influence you. And I realize the apostles spent three years with Jesus. I know Paul spent some time with Jesus, putting the, connecting the dots, putting things together. I get there's a training time. But there's also a time to go out and share what you know. So that others might see the wonderful, sanctifying grace of God in you. That separation, yes, we're not of the world. But we still see cashiers. We still see doctors. We still see our friends. We still know people in our community that are hungry and curious, that are hurting. And we might be the only person that can help them and expose them by being the salt and light to attract them to the gospel. And, in, and remember what Jesus prays for in that last section there in 20 to 26. He prays that they'll have unity in this, not uniformity, although there is something about being somewhat uniform. And there's a tension between unity and uniformity. If we were a communist nation, we could force you to act in an exact certain way. If we were in North Korea, everybody would be uniform. You'd be wearing the same clothes, wearing the same dress, having the same haircuts. You would have no opportunity to assert yourself in any way except in the coerced way you're forced to. If we live in unity, there will be some differences. Can you get ten guys in a room to agree on every single thing? Let me ask, what's your fa- who's your favorite football team? Yeah, you know this, right? But we can be unified around Christ. We can have some uniformity around around what we believe the Word teaches because that's what we really believe. But there's plenty of room for tolerance and bearing one another and loving each other into the fold, loving each other into maturity, knowing that we're all on a continuum and that we never really arrive. We just move on to our, our reward. True tolerance is, bear, is with patience, Ephesians 4, 2. Bearing with one another in love. That Greek word there, uh, bear, is also the same word in Matthew 17. They come down off the mountain. They're trying to heal the, the, the young uh, st- child. And they can't do it. And Jesus is like, how long will I have to bear with you? His point wasn't that, they, that he couldn't heal the person. His point was, you have to believe who I am. You have to believe that I'm po- it's, it's possible for me to do all the things that I've said I could do. But when you read in Ephesians 4.3 about being eager to maintain that unity and the bond of peace, it's not the apostles, Jesus, why can't we do this ourselves? It's what can we do together that can have an impact on the world around us. That's the work of unity. We have differences, we do. But to accentuate the differences into division is what the world wants. It's what Satan wants. To, to move into classifications of things and people is what Satan wants. But if we can unify around the gospel and be salt and light to the people in the world, it doesn't matter where you're from, it's where you're going to. Do you want to go to heaven, then you have to do what Jesus says. If you don't do what God says, then you don't have heaven, you have hell. And if, and if love doesn't motivate you, and I sure hope it does, maybe a little fear could be helpful as well. But I sure hope that it converts to love, because I'm more strongly motivated by love, by far, than fear. And sometimes we have to admit that in transforming the culture that we can be the stinky ones in that process. Because it's easy to be a curmudgeon and, and look at people and say, why are they not more like me? Wouldn't the world be better if they just did everything according to me? Maybe not. Probably transforming the culture means transforming our minds, Romans 12, 1 and 2 showing the believers that we are impacting the culture by way by the way that we live, by being a positive influence. I remember um, we were at a, a, a meeting one time. It happened several times, so it didn't matter which one. But there would be people that would come in and they would curse. And so they drop a bomb here and there. And you don't have to look at somebody and say, don't curse or you're fired, right? You don't have to be mean. You can just say, you know, I really don't... I really don't use those that language. I don't, I don't really like that. I've done that many times and people stop just like that. Not because I'm some great guy. But because you can have an influence even on something that may seem that small. And that's one more step forward. One more step in shining light. One more step in letting people know that you want to season them with grace. You want them to be a better person. You want them to do better things. And you hope that they'll, they'll be an opportunity to, to study, to come to a knowledge of the truth. Think about in Colossians, right, 3-2. We set our minds where? On things that are above, not on things of the world. And if we really believe, as Colossians 1, the hymn of Christ talks about that, that He really is the image of God, the, the firstborn among creation, He's preeminent then that should motivate us to go out and talk about him to other people. If he really is that high, higher than you, higher than me, then that should motivate us to go out and let somebody know about the gospel. We do need to be different from the world. And our life is different. It's not the speed of which we live that has to match the world. Although that's the temptation. A lot of times... People get in trouble, and you've done this before too, right? It's not just driving your car a little bit too fast and you get the red and blue lights, right? Although that could happen, right? Especially nowadays. But it's also thinking that I have to keep up with the Jonesies. Forgive me if your last name's Jonesy. Because the concept of thinking that because I'm not like what I see in the media and what I, what I think the world thinks I should be like to be acceptable by them, that somehow I need to rush after that to try to catch up with them. Folks, you're not behind. You're right where God wants you to be. And if you think, you know, the hurried you go, you go, the behinder you get, right? The, the idea is pace with God. Follow after Him. Move with Him. I'm sure He's by far moving quicker than even you and I can think. But when we evaluate time, what does it say in Ephesians 5? Redeeming the time. What does it mean to redeem the time? It doesn't mean living in hurry-up mode all the time. Join the rat race. We're busy. We're burdened under Satan's yoke of too much, too fast, too expensive, too much debt. But how many of you have read Psalm forty-six, ten, where God says, Be still and know I am the Lord. When's the last time you have what I call sit-and-stare time? When I was growing up as a young boy, we'd go down to, the, to Tennessee to visit family. And, with the, and, and on Ma and Pa's, um, this is, these are my parents' relatives, my great-great-something. And we would sit on the front porch and watch the Tennessee rain. we sit in these big rocking chairs like a... Like at uh, um, Cracker Barrel, only you don't have to eat there to sit in the chair. And we would sit there and ride, and we, it was so much fun to take sticks and see how far we could throw crab apples across the highway. Or, or just sitting back while it's raining and just kind of watch the rain. Just to have sit and stare time. Just time to let your mind gel and revel in the beauty of being God's creation. Revel in the thoughts that he's been putting into your head as you're reading his word and ingesting it and trying to make sense of how that can come out into your life in application. There's real issues, right? Real things that can happen. It affects our worship. It helps us to give more thanks because at the end of the day, when you've processed those difficult things, you come to a place of peace. And you end up saying, I don't have to be like the world. I don't have to give in. I can sit and stare and let God work on my spirit and my heart through the word. Knowing that life's not always that easy because sometimes we do suffer for the joy of the cross. Sometimes it's not easy, is it? And that's okay. Sometimes we do struggle and that's okay. But there are also times of success. And I hope that you see more people be saved as they come to that knowledge of truth. Isn't that what you really want? Don't you want to see the airing restored? That's what I want to see. Remember what Paul said in Philippians, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Notice he didn't say, for me to armchair preach is to live for me to hide in the bunker. Never said anything like that. If I live, it's for Christ. If I die, it's my heavenly reward. But in the meantime, I need to be out there. If Paul could live through difficulty and he was arrested tri- twice, beaten for, and left for dead twice, and he was opposed by many people as he would speak in synagogues and people's homes, yet without... Paul's writings, we'd be missing half the New Testament. Without Paul's work, multiple cities would not have had churches planted in them. And the roots that you grew from, from the time of Jerusalem until now, you may not have ever seen that. If Paul could do that, so could we. Brethren, I want to to leave you with this thought. And thank you for Staying with me for so long. Brethren, if you ever have any doubt, remember that Jesus taught right before he praised this prayer. He says, don't worry about this, right? I have what? Overcome the world. There's no opposition by the way that you live that could come at you in such a way that could cause you defeat. When you do what God asks you to do, share His love with people. Share the gospel. Even take those baby steps with people to encourage and influence them in a positive way. God loves you. He died for you. If you're not a Christian, brethren, you need to get right with God. If you are a Christian and you've been unmotivated, please, please go out and be salt and light. Be a positive influence to those around. You have no idea. And I have no idea how many people our lives will impact. But I guarantee you, if you're living as salt and light, you will impact someone. And probably a lot of people. And if you need the prayers of the church to do that, or you need to obey the gospel, the water's ready. Please.